You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Keeping Up with the Krakens, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. This is your host, Tyler Bell, coming from you, coming at you from the Rocky Mountains of Alberta, Canada. And today we're joined by a very, very special guest, a very good friend of mine. His name is Alec Durham. Why don't you say hi to the people, Alec? Hey, everybody. Awesome. So Alex joins joins us today to talk about some hockey. And Alec, before we get into that, uh, what we'll do here is maybe just just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, just to get the people familiar with who you are. Oh uh, yeah, just you know, small town Ontario, growing up all my life. Uh, I've been playing hockey as long as I can remember, and uh, coaching it actually the last ten years plus a little bit. Just uh, trying to stay involved now that I'm no longer playing as much as I'd like to be, but staying at the rink every day. Yeah, of course. And Alec is a very knowledgeable guy in hockey, so I'm just pumped to have him on today. And, you know, maybe a future co-host for the pod as well, eh, Alec? Uh, you never know. We'll see what unfolds, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll be glad to have you join the podcast one day once uh, you're maybe a little less busy. But, yeah, we're going to... Talk, talk about some games here today. So we're going to get into the very first game in Seattle Kraken history against Vegas opening night. What a what a way to open things up to this NHL season, eh? It was just an absolute heck of a hockey game. And before we can even get into some of that gameplay, let's talk about the way they open things up with that insane animation for the opening ceremony. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, leave it to Vegas to put on a show, right? I mean, that oh. thing was just phenomenal to watch. It was. Like, they honestly do it the best. Like, I think they probably have the best opening and crowd of any NHL team right now. Do you think that's fair to argue and say that? I think Nashville might want to argue that, you know. They usually get pretty loud, but that was back when they were winning a lot more. Vegas, they've got both going for them right now. They're winning and they're loud. But uh, the only thing I didn't like about the presentation was the house always wins. They had to kill the Kraken. They did have to kill the Kraken. And, of course, they have a sweet animation with that Kraken. If you if you haven't seen it yet, I advise you to definitely look it up. It's probably on YouTube. I know the NHL posted it on their Facebook. It's all over Twitter. But, yeah, they did a really cool animation where you were able to see the crack and kind of break through the ice. And of course, 
just like always, they have their knight at center ice ready to take on whichever beast is is upon them. And I thought it would have been a pretty cool idea if they would have, <laughs> if he would have grabbed a Medusa head and just showed it as soon as that Kraken popped out of the ice. And then, yeah, that would have been a pretty cool way. But maybe a bit of a, a ripoff too from um, <clears throat> from the movie there. Uh, what movie? Sorry. Ah, uh, for Wrath of the Gods, maybe. Oh, I don't know Clash, why that comes to mind. Clash but... of the Titans. Clash of right. the Titans. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. But yeah, honestly, I don't think there's a louder building in the NHL right now. I mean, there's obviously some buildings that get rocking, but that was playoffs written all over it, that kind of energy from that crowd. And I think if there's a, a place I would want to go see a game, Vegas would be right at the top of my list. Yeah, and you definitely saw it in the first five minutes of the game there, too. Like, both teams were just buzzing, just flying around, everyone getting their first shift, and they felt the atmosphere in the rink there. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, 100%. They were feeding off the crowd. And one thing I had mentioned in the in the last pod there was it was going to be very important for the Kraken to come out and kind of hold off Vegas's pressure for the first 10, uh, first 10 minutes of the first period there. But they weren't able to quite do that. They did find themselves in a hole early on. They were down by two, just six minutes and 36 seconds into the first period. And that's just a tough way for them to start things off. Uh, There's a bit of a bad giveaway by Dunn down low. Uh, While Lazan wasn't covering the front of the net, Marchessault's left wide open in front. He pops it in. That was the second goal of the game for them. Um, and yeah, just your thoughts on that. I mean, that first one, I mean, what are you going to do against the line with stolen patch ready and Stevenson? I mean, they picked up right where they left off last year, just dominant. And then that second one's kind of a backbreaker. You get the first one against, you think, all right, let's settle it down. Let's get our shit together a little bit and get back into it. And then bad giveaway in the corner and quick breakdown. No one gets a loan out front there. And of course, Marsha show the guy you don't want to leave a front out front of your net just has all the time in the world to tuck it around there. Yeah, it was a it was actually a pretty beautiful goal. So, and again, Mark Stone making plays out there, passing one of the best passers in the NHL. Uh, maybe not as underrated as he once was. Now that he's uh, in the spotlight in Vegas, but yeah, hard hard to handle a Vegas team with that crowd and coming out and trying to stave off that offense right away, but. It wasn't all negative for Seattle in that first period. Uh, Tanev had a really nice opportunity with a shorthanded breakaway, a slick pass from Schwartz there. Wasn't able to bury it, but it was good to see that. And then again, uh, just looking at the stats, Vegas was able to outshoot, or sorry, Seattle was able to outshoot Vegas 9-6 after the first period of play. So it wasn't like they were being totally outplayed, uh, but the bounces weren't going their way. And I think. If Grubauer could obviously redo that first period, uh, he'd, he'd want things to kind of go a different way for him because uh, he wasn't terrible, but he looked a bit shaky after that first. Yeah, I'd say he certainly settled in all right, though. He did, yeah. And Vegas, again, they kind of poured it on in the first half of the second, coming out pretty strong again. Uh, but Seattle was able to kill off some penalties. They stayed strong. And then once again, Mark Stone um, coming up the ice on a rush. You know, he freezes people up, 
looks back and finds Nick Hag coming in and Hag's able to put one top shelf and get another one past Grubauer. And just like that, Vegas is up to a, a commanding three, nothing lead in, in the second period there. So, uh, but it wasn't all bad as things turned around pretty quickly after that. And we had uh, an amazing moment in Seattle Kraken history. So here's a live listen to the very first goal in Kraken history. Far point, it's done. A wrist shot taken, tipped off a body off Donato. Out in front, white clouds out of the box. Even turns on the ice. Don Skoy, this way for Dunn. His shot stopped by Leonard, the rebound. They score! Ryan Donato has the first goal in Seattle Kraken history. So what a moment that was. Uh, for a huge fan base here for Seattle to see that very first goal in franchise history. Um, just Let's just talk about that kind of moment and, and what that means. Obviously, we all got to witness that. Um, so just your thoughts on that, Durham? I mean, they don't ask how, they just ask how many, right? It wasn't the prettiest <laughs> yeah. goal out there. I'm sure a lot of guys would have liked to say Geeky's was the first one after that freaking rockety let's go. But hey, y'all got to start somewhere. Yeah, exactly. You got to start somewhere. And I bet you Donato was just absolutely pumped to make history and be the first ever goal scorer for the Seattle Kraken. And just shortly after that, just a minute 12 later, McCann throws a puck out front from the corner to Schwartz and it goes off a defender and finds the back of the net. And quickly, just like that, it's a 3-2 hockey game and Seattle's right back in this one. Um, and then just taking a look too, shots were 23 apiece after the first two periods. So I would say things were pretty even. Um, obviously both teams were trading chances quite a bit, but yeah, from that point on, it was just an, an awesome game of hockey so far. And then going into the third period, things stayed very high pace back and forth hockey. And just like you said, Morgan Geeky's coming down the right side, of the ice and just absolutely wires a shot top shelf over the glove of Leonard. And just like that, three goals in a row. And we got a tie game in this hockey game. Holy frick. Like what a rocket that was though. Right. I mean, he just picked that. Oh my God. That, that was a snipe too. Just goes to show to Morgan geek. He's got a heck of a shot. And, you know, that's a guy who led this team in shooting in the preseason. So, you know, obviously a guy who's a shooter and he's getting the opportunity to show that in the NHL. And I just hope this guy continues to shoot like that going forward because he's got a heck of a shot on him. And one that Leonard looked like he wasn't uh, expecting coming his way either. No, not at all. And I tell you, Ron Francis is certainly hoping he continues to shoot like that. Oh, yeah, I think we all are for sure. And, and it's only going to look better for Francis if he does, right? <laughs> And then, of course, it couldn't be an introduction into the NHL without some controversy, right? So shortly after Geeky ties things up, a pass out front to Chandler Stevenson appears to kick the puck into the back of the net from the side of his skate. The goal is reviewed, but ultimately it stands, and we have a 4-3 game now. So what's your thoughts on this goal? Do you think it was a kick? Was it not a kick? What's your thoughts here, Durham? It was against the Kraken, so of course it shouldn't have counted. Yeah, of I course mean, not. 
pushes his foot towards the net, twists it towards the net. I mean, that's as close as a kicking motion as you can get without taking your foot off the ice, which I heard someone actually say that NHLers have the idea of if you keep your skate on the ice, most often they'll let it go. So yeah, and it appears that way. By him. Yeah, hundred percent. Like when I'm looking at that play, it's really tough to sit there and say that wasn't a kick. I mean, he clearly moves his skate in a way where it is a kick motion. And like you said, he did keep his skate on the ice, but I think the NHL at some point is going to have to look back and maybe review this uh, and kind of come up with a game plan of what's going to be a kick. What's not going to be a kick. Obviously they're all kind of counting as deflections. These so-called kicks or so-called deflections going forward, but yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough way to lose your very first hockey game as you know, the Vegas golden Knights would hold on for a four, three victory in this one. But at the end of the day, this was just a fantastic hockey game. And if you're a, a fan of Seattle crack in here, you got to be absolutely psyched to see that kind of effort from game one um, of your very first hockey game and a very tough place to play. And of course, being the first game, a lot of those mistakes from earlier on, that'll fade as we get to game 50 and 60 and especially come playoff time. Yeah, it, it's going to be a grind of a season and it's going to be hard to keep that going all the way through, right? I thought, uh, you know, Morgan Geeky looked really good in that first game. Tanev is a guy who was jumping up in plays, playing uh, with lots of tenacity, had a couple nice scoring chances. And he's just a water bug out there, right? And I know you're a you're a big Pittsburgh fan here, and you've got to see him play. So just give me your thoughts on a guy like Tanev and what he can bring to this team. Well, actually, it's funny. Well, you know, as we used to talk about back when he first signed that contract with Pittsburgh, the six-year, three-and-a-half mil a year, I was like, holy shit. Or did we just pay some bottom six guy for six years, like, three and a half what's going on here because i hadn't seen him that much being up in winnipeg and it had to be by christmas that first year he was a penguin i was in love with him dude was amazing he was on every loose puck and four check back check fantastic penalty killer and then he shows a little bit of skill from time to time as well but he's just tenacious on everything and everybody and for being a smaller undersized guy too he throws the body around pretty well and he gets under a lot of guys skin yeah, 100%. And he looks like a guy who's slowly kept developing the more he's played throughout his NHL seasons. And he's taken on a bigger and a bigger role. And it kind of reminds me of his older brother, uh, Chris Tanev, who you know gives me those same vibes where he's gotten better and better as his, his careers went on. And yeah, he's absolute water bug out there, fun to watch. And I'm just so glad that the Kraken have a player like him. Uh, he was able to put up five hits in that game too, so he was absolutely rocking it too. Uh, didn't see a whole lot from the power plays. Um, of course, both teams went 0 for 3 that game. Seattle was able to out-hit them, and I expect them to do that with a lot of these games going forward. So they out-hit them 33-26. And then Giordano actually led the team in shots that game with five. And I think you made a great point to me earlier that four of those shots came from the first period alone. So that that's a pretty wild stat you bring up. Especially considering Seattle had nine as a team in the first period. 
Yeah, and he he was in on four of those. That's that's pretty wild. But uh, a couple days later, uh, the Seattle Kraken play game two of the season, and they take on the Nashville Predators. Going in, I was you know expecting a, a hard fought defensive battle, and that's kind of what we've seen from this game. Even though it was a four three victory and the very first victory in franchise history for Seattle, so that was very very cool. Uh, Basically, we got to see uh, the debut of Alex Barry Boulet, and he was slotted in that second line uh, with that Wenberg line there. So that was pretty cool to see him with Wenberg and Don Scully and getting a real opportunity to showcase himself. So again, this is a player who you know was probably buried in Tampa's system uh, for a couple of years now and put up some really good numbers in the AHL. Talked about it last pod. He brings a lot of that offense instincts. He's got a lot of skill up front, so putting him in that position uh, was really cool to see. And we did see you know, some production out of him. So we'll get into that, but just breaking down the first period here, the Kraken found themselves down early as McCann kind of lost a defensive draw there, and Nashville was able to get one past Grubauer uh, as Tolvanen buried one past him. But then from that point on, uh, it was really good because – Seattle was able to kind of take the game over and it kind of showed through the rest of that period. McCann ended up tying things up on the power play later on in that period. Uh, A shot that went off a defender in front finds the back of the net. We have a one, one game and yeah, it was really just all Seattle from that point on. And they kind of got back to their style of play, still trying to find their game early in the season here but they're going to be playing that hard-hitting defensive style. And shots were 12-4 after the first for Seattle. So once again, that kind of just shows uh, what kind of style they're going to be bringing. And another good note, too, we we noticed that uh, Tanev was bumped up to the third line somewhere in that first period. So, you know, he continues to play a really good game, and he's looking like one of the best players so far. And, you know, he's getting an opportunity to showcase that throughout the rest of this game on the third line as Appleton, who was originally on that third line um, with Geeky and Donato, got shifted back to the fourth line. But I think, you know, Tanev was more deserving to get that opportunity. So it wasn't all positive going into the second period as Seattle found themselves in some some penalty trouble early on as Larson gets called for a cross-checking penalty. Then Tanev, who we've been pumping his tires, but he did get called for a slash. Maybe a bit of a weak call considering they're on the PK already, but that put the Kraken down 5-3, or to put them down on a 5-on-3 there. And Roman Yossi absolutely unleashes a howitzer top shelf uh, with a pretty much unstoppable shot. And I showed it showed too that it was clocked in at 96 miles an hour, <laughs> so that's a heck of a shot from the point there. So yeah, yeah what do you think of that? that one. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, don't sign me up for that, please. <laughs> and then take one of those seven-figure contracts, I think, just to eat one of those for dinner. Oh, no kidding! Like you, Roman Yossi is just one of the best to do it in the NHL for a defenseman too. And he gets so many shots on net. And this one just went top shelf, like we said, pretty much unstoppable. But it was it was an absolute beauty. So so credit to him. Uh, back to a one-one game. 
And all these, uh, so far, all these periods have been pretty tight going forward for the Kraken. Yeah, it looks like they're going to have to find a way to win a lot of one-goal games. It, it is looking that way. This is a very defensive-style team going forward. They're going to forecheck really hard, and we kind of continued to see that as this game went on. And then, you know, talking about Alex Bury-Boulay, uh, that line had a really good shift in the second where they hemmed in Nashville for a little while there, cycled the puck around, and then Bury-Boulay had a nice pass finding Wenberg in front who was completely wide open and was able to bury one uh, into the back of the net and then crack and took that lead once again. So heading into the third period here, uh, there's a bit of a change of pace in Seattle's game. Uh, it looked like they really tried to step back and play defensive. They weren't really getting much offensively. They didn't really make anything happen offensively the game was very chippy and almost became sloppy a little bit eh yeah i've never really been a fan of the whole you get up a goal and sit back and try and protect it thing i've always sided with ray ferraro if you've heard him go on about that how much 2-1 hockey games suck unless it's 2-1 where the both goalies stand on their heads i'd much rather a 4-3 shootout not in a shootout i mean no one likes to see that and in three on three overtime. That's a lot more exciting for everybody that gets to watch, but I want lots of pucks on net and even more of them to go in. Yeah, no, I would, I would completely agree with that. I don't like the idea of, of sitting back and trying to defend a lead, especially for a whole period. That's a lot of time to try to kill off and you're better off, you know, still trying to create some offense and keep the pressure going. You know, that's worked throughout the first 40 minutes of the game. So why, change that tactic and just rely on your defensive play to try to get you the win, right? Exactly. Why change your game plan just to try and bring it home if your game plan has got you up one or two goals? Mm-hmm. So Nashville did press on quite a bit, but it was Tanev who was able to find an empty netter. And we thought that sealed the deal, but not so fast as Nashville was able to come right back and make it 4-3 with a goal from Grandland in front with about 40 seconds left which let's be honest in the NHL, that gives you plenty of time to make something happen, right? Oh, exactly. Teams have scored two goals with less time than that. Oh, a hundred percent. But Nashville wasn't so lucky this time as Seattle, were, Seattle was able to hold on for their first win in franchise history. And just talk about what a, what an amazing moment this is for the team, you know, second game in the NHL and they're able to pull home their first victory. Oh, I mean, it's huge. You don't want to wait too long to get into it because then things start to get a little down in the room. You start to wonder if you are that little outcast. But now that they got the first one, I'm sure they're only going to get rolling from there, get comfortable with each other, figure their systems out, and then they're just going to start to get rolling, especially being in the Pacific. Like, they're going to have a lot of matchups against, I think, weaker teams. Yeah, they're going to be getting opportunities against weaker teams quite a bit this year. So, it's important to kind of get that confidence booster right away and get their first victory in their second ever game. And yeah, it was a bit of a nail biter in that third period for sure. Um, and then Elliot Friedman tweeted out a, a pretty cool stat. Well, maybe not that cool, but uh, Seattle was outshot 13 to one in that third period. The only shot they had on net was Tanev's empty netter. So 
maybe a bit of a tough look there, but they're still walking away with the victory. So uh, at the end of the day, I don't think they're too upset about that. You know, somewhere Patrick Wall was watching that game, just loving the third period. Selective shooting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, get, take your chances. Take your opportunities when you get them, right? Make the most of them for sure. Um, Yeah, just taking a look at that game. I thought Wenberg, that whole second line looked really good. And credit to Boulay coming in, playing his first game as a Seattle Kraken after only practicing you know, maybe one or two times with the team, looking comfortable, getting on the score sheet. Wenberg was able to put up a goal and an assist in that game. Uh, Tanev, once again, has an awesome game. So he's been a standout both these first two games. And then McCann as well, a guy who looked a bit more comfortable maybe this game uh, than that first line really did in that uh, that first game against Vegas there. And then, yeah, once again, Seattle was able to out-hit Nashville 22-16. to And the big thing here was the two power play goals from Seattle. They were two for two on the power play tonight. So I think that was probably the biggest difference in this game was special teams. So going forward, they played game three against Columbus tonight. And unfortunately, I did miss the first couple periods of that game. Um, so give me your thoughts on the first couple periods and what kind of game we kind of seen from those, these two games out or these two teams, Alec. Oh, uh, well, I'll be honest. It was kind of a boring game to watch for the spit first bit there. I mean, a lot, they're playing both pretty good D keeping stuff to the outside. A lot were perimeter. I mean, they credited Columbus with five scoring chances in the first period, but I think only two or maybe three of them were from in tight. And even then, they were contested, like D right on them. Like it was very tight checking. Everything, like I said, kept outside. Wasn't a whole lot of quick breaks or action both ways. It was kind of what you'd expect from tight checking teams, and especially with Columbus, that's been their style, whether they had star talent or not, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, and then you were able to witness that very first goal of the game that by Tanev. Kind of break that down for us as well. Oh, he gets a nice chip there. You know, the puck lobs down, and he notices he's got for a forward Bjorkstrand stuck on the back end there, and he takes full advantage of that, just shifting around. Tanev, like you said, little water bug out there, going side to side, making Bjorkstrand's shoulder check both ways, gets lost, picks a puck up around him, and then just shows off nice patience, fakes the shot, a couple of quick little shoulder shakes, and tucks it over the backhand pad there. Yeah, just watching uh, the highlights of that, that was a, a very little dirty little play there to get Merz Lincolns coming across and he, he puts it over his pad on the backhand and uh, pretty much puts it top shelf, faking him out. And I feel like we've been mentioning Tanev so much already in this this podcast. And let's just talk about his game so far for a second and what he's brought so far. You know, obviously looking at the stats here, he's got three goals already and he's leading this team in goals. How huge is that Durham? Well, a guy that started your season on your fourth line is by three games in, he's a goal a game and moved his way up to by the end of the game tonight, he finished with Wenberg and Donskoy on the second line. I think taking most of the shifts there. I mean, that's pretty valuable. That is, and you're, you you got to have guys like that on this team who are going to step up and become bigger uh, role players for this team. And so far, Tanev has shown that he's done that and he's 
kind of leading this team in that sense. And like you said, he's a complete water bug out there. He goes out there, lays the body, uh, he kills penalties. He's putting up goals. He's a fast skater and he creates some of the best headshots in NHL history, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I think going forward, his nickname here might be Ghost because he appears to see them every time he looks into a camera lens, right? That's just photogenic, if you ask me. I mean, it's infectious now. He's got the USHL. I think the Chicago Steel's entire team did it. He got Casper Kapanen doing it for him in Pittsburgh still. It's it's going around. Yeah, it's pretty neat to see that. Everybody's kind of jumping on board with the same style that Tanev has given the NHL with his headshots. So uh, pretty cool to see. But yeah, jumping back into this game here, I uh, was able to catch that third period. But uh, looking at the stats of, of shots per period, like you said, this was a bit of a defensive, well, very defensive game, slow game, uh, a lot of hits. Shots per period for the Kraken, first period five, second period seven, third period seven. So that's not going to get it done um, night in and night out in the NHL. So I don't know if uh, a bit of fatigue was coming in or, you know, uh, just couldn't find that groove against Columbus. You know, they play a hard style to play against, but, you know, having that many shots isn't going to get it done in the NHL every night. And that opened up the opportunity for Columbus to find a way back into this game, and they were able to do so. So, yeah, they tied the game up uh, with a goal from Eric Robinson. Uh, and like you mentioned earlier, that was a tough bounce for the defender to handle there. So kind of talk us through that goal. I think you see from the one angle there is it takes the bounce at the blue line and it looks like it's coming back out of the zone. And Robinson, he even look, makes it look like that too. He shoulder checks to his right side, looking for the puck and you see it hit his skates and go forward ahead of him. And he's just like, huh, well, I got myself a nice little gift here. Yeah. He's able to his credit. That was a nice shot. I mean, pick the corner there but just tough bounce at the blue line yeah he did pick top shelf and kind of felt bad for grubauer there because obviously he's been the rock in that all game and keeping his team in it and to have a crappy bounce like that happen and then robinson goes in and just picks corner that's a tough shot to to stop there so sucks for grubauer but you know there's still an opportunity in this game it goes to overtime and you know, the Kraken had one shot on goal, but it was Columbus who were able to find the back of the net with a nice uh, low shot snipe by a guy you might know, Patrick Laine. Uh, so a guy, yeah, maybe heard of him. I think he puts pucks in the back of the net. That's yeah, the rumor like anyway. villain on the way in too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so they dropped this game in overtime. Uh, I think it's one they would like to have back and maybe have a bit more effort in the game. But I think Grubauer had a very solid outing and he posted his best numbers as a crack in, in this game, putting up a 920 save percentage. So it's good to see him uh, finding his comfortability in net after, you know, maybe a shaky start in that first game and then maybe not the the best game against Nashville, but he looks like he's getting more comfortable as the games go on. And, you know, he's he's an absolute elite goalie back there. So they're going to be expecting him to to carry the workload for the Seattle team going forward if they want to make a real push for playoffs. 
And especially with, it looks like they're going to be playing a lot of tight games. So they're going to need him to be solid and stop the ones he's supposed to. And, you know, if someone beats him with a wired shot, then whatever. Just stop the ones you got and we'll take care of the rest in front of you. Yeah, exactly. But I think, you know, overall in these first three games, you got to be pretty happy with what you've seen from Seattle so far. For a team that is just playing... Uh, and getting to know each other's styles and and learning, you know, the all the new coaching and just learning their systems to be in the position they are so far. One one and one record. That's not too bad, eh? Wouldn't you say? Oh, I'd certainly take it. I mean, you're basically five hundred. Yeah, you're basically five hundred. You got three points out of a possible six. Uh, and there's going to be obviously, obviously you have some players out too. So when some of those players like Yanni Gord are back in the lineup or, you know, become part of the lineup for their first time, because he hasn't yet, you throw in a guy like Colin Blackwell as well. You're going to be adding a lot more depth to this forward core. So it'll be really interesting once they have a real, a real healthy lineup where players are placed. And, you know, that should be a little bit of a boost to the offense that we've kind of been lacking in these, in these first couple games. Yeah, I agree. I think Andy Gord's going to be a huge boost for this team. Yeah, I expect him to, you know, really help uh, that center position. And I could see him probably taking over that first line center role because he is a dynamic player and he might add a bit more offense than McCann has so far, even though McCann, he hasn't been terrible by any means, but uh, a guy like Yanni Gord might be best suited for that first line center position. Is that something you'd agree with? Or is that something you might, you maybe have a different opinion on? No, I agree. I think McCann, I think he fits perfect as a second line player. It allows him to be a little more offensive because as a first line centerman, you got to deal with shutting down the other team's top players too. Right. And I think that's much more mm-hmm. up Gord's wheelhouse. Cause that was basically his role for Tampa Bay the last little while. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. That was, that was pretty much his role. And, you know, he is a part of one of the best third lines in, in hockey and, you know, two Stanley Cup rings under his belt. So hard to argue that. And I think it's a great opportunity for him to move up in the lineup and take on a larger role. Um, so I think he's going to prove exactly why he deserves that as soon as he's back in this lineup. Yeah, and for everyone always saying he was a third line guy in Tampa Bay, I think, and I think, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he led Tampa Bay in five on five ice time in the playoffs last year. That wouldn't surprise me. That third line basically played as a second line and they were out there just as much as the second line. And, you know, they're one of those lines that shut down the, uh, the opponent's top line every night. So they had uh, big duties to fill big roles to fill and, they obviously did a pretty good job of doing that because they have a couple rings to, to back that argument up, right? Yeah, they did a better job than anybody else in the league. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943, so I'd say this is a no-brainer. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. 
everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any NFL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. All right, welcome back to Keeping Up with the Krakens podcast. This is your host, Tyler Bell. We're moving on to one of our segments here. This segment is called Around the NHL. And the first thing we're going to get into is a couple signings across the NHL, starting off with Matthias Ekholm, who signed a four-year, $25 million extension, comes out to 6.25 average annual value per year. Big contract for him after being a UFA right now, or going to be a UFA coming up. And this is an interesting signing, Durham, because Nashville is one of those teams where, you know, are they ready to enter a rebuild? Are they going to do a retool? You know, what direction is this team going in right now? And it makes things interesting signing Ekholm here because I think he would have been a big uh, trade piece if they were moving into a rebuild. So give me your thoughts on this contract. Yeah, I agree. It was kind of a weird one, but it was almost felt like it had to happen at this point because he was on the block forever to the point where I think last year or was it last year going into the deadline, he was basically either a Bruin or a flyer. Like everyone was tweeting out from an insider account said he's going to Boston or Philly for, they don't know what yet, but those are the big guys. And now all of a sudden he's staying in Nashville for six more years. Yeah. Um, so they're definitely committing to him. So in, in my mind, I, it seems like their management believes this team can still compete and they still have an opportunity and it's, it's going to be hard for them because that central division just seems more and more stacked by the day when you go through those teams and that, you know, they don't have it easy being in that division and for them to compete and make playoffs this year, I think UC Saros has got to be standing on his head and, you know, this is the first year that they're really giving him the reins to be the number one goalie. So a lot of pressure on him. Do you think they can get it done, Durham? No, I don't think Nashville's that great. I mean, you're kind of in trouble if you're paying your top two centermen, what is it, $15 million, $16 million, and they don't score very much. I'm not saying your centermen have to be your goal scorers, but they got to score a heck of a lot more than Duchesne and Johansson have. Yeah, and that's, you know, I mean, you make good points there. It's weird because Nashville, it feels like they've been in the search for a top centerman for a while now, and they made the trade for uh, Ryan Johansson, of course, when they they swapped him a one-for-one one with Seth Jones and then acquiring Matt Duchesne as well. It just doesn't seem like it's worked out for them every time they take a shot at trying to trying to find that top-line center, and it's almost backfired a bit. Or, you know, just you, you bring in those guys and they just underperform. So it's been tricky for them. And I think that's probably been a big problem in Nashville uh, over the last few years because they've had one of the best decors for a lot of those years and great goaltending. But yeah, the problem's definitely been, I think, up the middle for the most part with this Nashville team. 
Yeah, I mean, they've certainly had wingers that could score. And what's interesting to now see now after Eckholm's been extended is what do they do with Forsberg? Because he was up at the end of the year too, isn't he? Yeah, I, I believe so. He, I would have to double check that, but that would be a good one to keep an eye on. If you're going to commit that kind of money to Eckholm and then trading away Ardvidsson this past offseason, I think they have to find a way to make sure that they can extend Forsberg going forward because he's definitely their most dynamic forward up front and a guy who is putting up consistent numbers offensively and probably their MVP player behind a guy like UC Saros on this team. All right, moving along here, we got another signing, another long one, eight years for Ryan Pollock of the New York Islanders. He signs an eight-year deal worth $49.2 million in total money, uh, which comes out to 6.15 average annual per year. He has a no-trade clause for the first five years and then a modified no-trade clause in the last three of those years. So give me your thoughts on this contract, Durham. What you, what's your thoughts on this Pollock signing? Man, Lou's got to be holding a gun to the head of everybody that signs with the Islanders, right? <laughs> I mean, how else do you get Pellick and Pollock for a combined 11.9 mil and San Jose's got Eric Carlson at 11.5? Yeah, that's certainly a tough look when you can get your top D pairing signed for about the same as a guy like Eric Carlson, who, let's be honest, is probably regressing in his game, right? Used to be one of the best players on the planet. Absolutely. Like, totally deserved his money at the time. But if you can sign a dominant two-way D pair for the same price of a guy who was, a lot of people argued he was two-way, but I had him in fantasy hockey. Mm -hmm. I know he racked up block shots. Oh yeah, hundred percent he did. And yeah, just talking about Pollock's game too. Like this is a guy who's gonna be twenty-two plus, maybe close to twenty-four minutes a night. He's gonna be playing against the top lines. Not only that, he's gonna be getting power play time, penalty kill. So to to lock a guy up like this, uh, for about six million a year for eight years, that's a really good signing for the Islanders here. Uh, you know, Pollock's a great defenseman and he has one of the biggest bombs from the point in the nhl wouldn't you say oh for sure like put him and weber 10 shots in a row i want to see what their averages are <laughs> yeah 100 percent. so all in all great signing they got him at a great price anytime you could lock up a top baron defenseman for this price for this long that's an a plus job so like you said, kudos to that management. And well, maybe they are holding guns to heads. Who knows exactly what's going on, but Lou's a great guy. And, uh, you know, that Islanders team is is just stacked right now. And, and they're probably destined for another deep run in the playoffs too. Yeah, they seem to be a team that just squeaks into playoffs and then they just go for it. Yeah, it's almost like they're the way they have their team built. Again, it's a, a defensive-style grinding team who's been able to get more and more offense in the last couple of years. Their best hockey seems to be coming out in playoff time. And when they got you know the fourth line that they do, uh, it's no doubt that that's the case, right? Oh, they're built for the thick of it, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Moving right along here, we have a awesome signing. I'm absolutely pumped about this one. Brady Kachuk signs a seven-year deal. 57.5 total cash. He's making an average of 8.205 per season. And I am absolutely stoked 
to have this guy locked up in Ottawa because I am a big Sens fan as well. And, you know, Brady Kachuk just means so much for this team. He does everything out there. And watching all the games like I do, you know, he hasn't put up the points that you think an $8.2 million guy should be putting up. I think there's still growth left in his game to develop more offense. When you're one of the top shot guys in the NHL, it's only a matter of time before some more of those pucks find their way into the back of the net. But he doesn't just do that. He's one of the biggest hitters in the game. He stands up, he drops the gloves, and he brings this team in the middle of the fight every time they play a game. And he is always dominating out there, shift in, shift out, and giving it his all. So, you know, that's kind of my opinion on it. He's an absolute leader for this Sens team. And I absolutely love watching this guy play. He's fun to watch. And yeah, give me your thoughts on on a guy like Brady Kachuk. Oh, he's a total shit disturber out there. Absolute bull in a china shop, and the china shop's about four sizes too small. He yeah, doesn't care that's... who's in there either. <laughs> he doesn't. No, he he's a he's a great player to watch. He's still very young. You know, it took a little bit to get that signing done, but I am very okay with sacrificing three to four games for a seven-year contract for this guy because. You know, a lot of people bash Ottawa for saying, you know, we can't get any superstars locked up long term. We trade all of our best people away. But I think you're seeing a shift in that finally with all these recent signings. Obviously, Shabbat a couple of years ago signs a big eight by eight. So he commits long term. You see Batherson, who signs for just under five million, uh, commit to a long term contract as well. And now you're seeing Brady Kachuk commit to this team. So it's very exciting as a Sens fan to finally see some commitment to some of these players. And we can only hope that that trend continues with some of the upcoming contracts they're going to be signing. Of course, a Josh Norris, who kind of leads their team uh, as a top-line centerman. He's going to need a contract soon. Um, Stutzla is going to be up in a couple years. So hopefully getting these guys locked in long-term as well is, is going to be a huge thing for Ottawa to build off of and just show that they do want to commit to this core and try to make a run, you know, three years, four years down the road at, at seriously contending for a Stanley cup. Yeah. I just hope it works out all right for Ottawa fans. And I hope they're not uh, in the same boat seven years from now with a, Oh shit. Are we just going to lose Brady at 28 instead of 25? <laughs> yeah man you're telling me because it's 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 been a painful ride and it hurt the day that mark stone was traded we knew that you know, he wasn't a part of the organization anymore that was a painful day in in franchise history i'd say it hurt even more than the carlson one don't know why but it just did uh, we've been through a lot of shit us Sens fans so being able to you know, climb up the hill instead of fall down is a nice change of scenery. I'll tell you that for sure. And then moving right along here, we have another eight-year contract. Uh, so crazy how many long-term contracts are just being handed out in the first couple, first week of the season here. But moving right along, we have Charlie McAvoy, who signs a huge deal, $76 million deal. Comes out to 9.5 average annual per season. He also has a no movement clause in years three to six. 
And the last two years, it's a modified no movement clause. So give me your thoughts on a signing like this. I think Boston fans are going to love it. There's going to be a few that might say nine and a half is a bit pricey, but at the same time, anyone can say, hey, McAvoy took a decent pay cut on his last contract to keep everyone around when they went for that last few runs. So if he deserves an extra 750 or whatever a year, you fucking give it to him. That man is your horse at the back end. He's been their he number is. one D since Char left, and some could argue a year, even Char's last couple of years here, he was their guy. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, this guy's an absolute machine back there. I um, mean, he's so good, too. He's such a smart, skilled defenseman. He eats up a lot of their power play time as well. I was a bit shocked to see it reach over $9 million per season just because a lot of these superstars in Boston, you know, aren't making top dollar and appeared to have taken pay cuts. So to see him get a large contract was a bit surprising, but definitely deserved. And he's going to, you know, earn all those bucks that he's making, right? Oh, I 100% agree. I think he's worth every penny, even though that's a good point, bringing it up with everyone in Boston's kind of taking the pay cut on their contracts. Yeah, so, you know, I guess that trend had to kind of stop at some point. And McAvoy, you know, he's still very young. And he's going to be, able, like you said, he's the rock back there on D. And you got to pay the man, right? Because he brings so much to this team. And if they want to continue to compete... Uh, he's going to have to be steady and continue to be the defenseman that he is back there. Plus, with the way contracts have been handed out the last couple of weeks, I'm sure McAvoy could point to almost any team in the league and go, I want that. Oh, yeah, especially for defensemen, right? Like, they've been bringing in some bank in the offseason, so many big defensive contracts, all long contracts too. So, you know, all these stud defensemen are definitely getting paid what they're worth, or maybe even a bit more, you can argue. Uh, so moving right along here, we had a couple suspensions in uh, the first games of these respected players' teams. Um, so Dylan Larkin receives a one-game suspension. He took a bit of a questionable hit behind by Matthew Joseph of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, he kind of got right back up and then took a bit of a swinging punch at Matthew Joseph, appeared to catch him in the face, receives one game for it. Oh, give me your thoughts on this. Oh, that got me going. I mean, I absolutely loved it from a Detroit team that struggled so much in the last few years and kind of been the little brother that gets kicked around in the league. And you had a handful of teams there with Arizona, Buffalo, Detroit. It was kind of like, hey, we're kicking their ass every night. And then Larkin after that gets up with a fuck you attitude. And we're not going to be pushed around anymore. And, you know, you see it too in the same game with uh, Moritz Sider, the rookie from the team. After play ends and the whistle there, Hedman skating with the puck away, and Sider just swoops in, pulls it away from him, bounces another Tampa Bay player off him, and just starts some shit and makes a little scrum happen there. And I love it. Detroit's moving forward with a, hey, we're not getting pushed around anymore. No, I like that. I like that kind of attitude that they're bringing because it's been a tough couple years, few years for that Detroit team, and they do look like they're they're now back on the up-and-coming trail. Uh, they got a lot of good young players in that team, and it's going to be important for them to stand up for each other and stand up for those young guys. So seeing uh, Dylan Larkin take a swing at that was, you know, a bit crazy because you don't see that kind of play happen every game. But you, when you hit a guy from behind, 
you know, it's going to cause some kind of havoc from either a teammate responding or in this case, Larkin responding himself and taking a vicious swing at Matthew Joseph. So we only see one game. That neck injury too, isn't he? I, yeah, I think you make a good point on that too. He is coming off that. So, you know, obviously that hit was up high and from behind and hitting a sensitive area on him. So that obviously uh, triggered a light bulb and, or, triggered a spark in in his head and he was pretty pissed about that one some wires might have crossed there yeah they might have crossed a couple and then that wasn't the only suspension either as gabriel landiscog was suspended two games for a pretty vicious hit on kirby dock in that opening game against chicago too uh yeah watching the replay of this one like this was a a, a vicious hit from a guy who was in a pretty vulnerable position when you say Oh, you know, Landeskog came across ice and just said, eat it, kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely uh, showing showing some tenacity there. And yeah, it was just, a, it was definitely a questionable hit. And obviously that's why Landeskog got two games for it. But he's a guy who plays on the edge and he's always done that in his career and he tries to lead by example. But yeah, maybe hitting a guy when he's, you know, maybe on one knee, slowly getting back up and just absolutely crushing him into the boards. I was a bit shocked watching that replay that Doc wasn't maybe hurting a bit more than than he showed on the ice there. Yeah, I don't care where the guy is on the ice. You can't hit him if he's sitting there on one knee and kind of got his back to you too. Yeah, just crumbled him into the boards. That was a vicious hit. It's funny both suspensions are the captains of their team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, leading by example, right? Just bringing the heat right from game one. Yeah, you gotta love it. That's how you. That's how you set the set it off for the the NHL opener for your team, right? You, you go out there and get suspended, leading the way. <laughs> this season might be a marathon, but we're sprinting the whole damn thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just some other Seattle Kraken news too to wrap things up here. Defenseman Dennis Chelowski was claimed off waivers from Washington. Uh, Chalowski was claimed f- or was picked up in the expansion draft from Detroit. Uh, you know, looked pretty good in preseason. Didn't end up making the team out of camp and then gets claimed off Washington. Just your thoughts on this. Oh, uh, well, you know, I didn't get to see too much of them in preseason there because I couldn't find a stream anywhere for freaking any of the games. So I didn't get to see him much there. So I don't really know too much about how he did with Seattle here, but they picked a whole lot of D and some forwards that were kind of fringe players and waiver eligible, leaving themselves room to have a lot of cap space and make big moves. So this was bound to happen a couple of times, I think, especially with them picking up guys like Barry Boulay from Tampa. Yeah, very true. Yeah, very true. Like you kind of have to expect that at least one or two, especially defensemen, they were, they're actually pretty deep on D with some of the guys they had. And, you know, I think Lazan beat him out, you know, and got, getting the opportunity to play ahead of Chalowski. And I still think this guy is going to be, uh, you know, a good defenseman in the NHL. Does he have top four written on top of him? He showed it early on in his career, but, you know, I think he might have taken a bit of a step back. And it, it's tough when, <laughs> when you're playing on a team like Detroit too and getting it taken to you every night. So Chalowski is probably going to be a top 60 at some point or a, or a third pair defenseman, I should say. 
So, you know, it's just one of those situations where it's going to happen in the NHL. Like you said, like this is going to happen. You, you have a deep decor like that. Somebody's going to get claimed at some point and you're, you're going to end up losing a roster player or two because of that. Right. Well, especially what have they got like seven NHL defensemen that are all left-handed. I mean, kind of a numbers game with the poor kid there. Yeah, exactly. They definitely don't have a plethora of right-handed defensemen, and that's kind of where things get a little weird on that back end of Seattle. They don't really have that depth on the right-handed D side of things. Of course, like a guy like Dunn, uh, a couple other guys can can move over and play that right side, and they've shown that. But yeah, it's it's you know it was bound to happen for one of these left-handed D to you know either get sent down or in this situation, get claimed off waivers. So I think that just about wraps up our topics for today. Um, quick preview of what we're going to talk about next episode. We'll be, you know, breaking down the games against Philly, New Jersey, and of course their huge home opener for Vancouver, which we're absolutely psyched to see the fans in the building there in Seattle. It's going to be probably a huge playoff atmosphere type game. The guys are going to be fired up to be at home and start a big road trip or a road trip, start a big home trip um, and really start to find some momentum in their game and hopefully put together uh, a few wins and, and really get some momentum going their way. So thank you everybody uh, for listening and thank you Durham for joining the podcast and talking some hockey with me. It was a pleasure talking. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm sure I'll definitely be back and glad to be here. Awesome. Sounds good. We'll be happy to have you back. And thank you all the fans and crackheads for listening. Hope everybody has a good one and we'll talk to you guys soon.